Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zanachef and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. <laughs> See, John, you're more enthusiastic now. I think I think yeah. your your enthusiasm has picked up for your your intro greeting. Well, I think it's because I got my taxes done a couple weeks ago, really. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> no longer it, have that hanging over my head. I thought it was the whole Bruce Jenner thing that helped you. Ah, you know, uh, no. No, no. No, didn't have anything to do with it. I'm actually very glad for her now that... um, Oh, yeah. Personally, you know, pleased for him as an individual. Go, go, Bruce, Caitlin. But, um, I mean, otherwise, Uh, you know. Yeah, I'm absolutely absolutely thrilled for her because that has got to be one of the most brutal things to live with during your life, right? That's got to be difficult. So, well, and having to, having me, to live with the Cardassians <laughs> every day, too, I would think. Yeah, that would be a, a, an even bigger trial. But, uh, mm-hmm. no, I'm just, I'm really uh, very pleased that uh, somebody has, you know, realized their dream. And, yeah. has, you know, that's got to, you know. I live with very difficult, challenging uh, situations. So you, so you in grasp my life. on to simple dreams like his, huh? <laughs> right, like becoming a woman. <laughs> I do, um, you know, not becoming a woman, uh, but uh, yeah, I have uh, simple dreams. Simple. I'm a very <laughs> like simple our good friend John Blickman, perhaps. Yes. He, he is very simple, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or he wants to become a woman. I'm not sure which. But, uh, simple woman. He wants to become a simple woman. He would look like a very, a very plain, simple woman. <laughs> if, you, if, if you were to alter John Blickman into a woman, yeah. I don't care. I you, 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 could take, you could take no amount of plastic surgery would really make him into an attractive woman. <laughs> he literally would look like the simple woman in the pitchfork painting. That's, yes. that's what yes. John looks like as a woman. If you ever yes. wondered, right. just go look at the simple couple <laughs> well, painting. American guy. And then, and then yeah. as a man, he looks like the, the guy in the, in the <laughs> Yeah, <painting>. he's, yes. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, if he's still a sponsor, what I would say <laughs> yeah. is, if he's still a sponsor after this, he's he's got fortitude. That's what he's got. Yes. And, uh, and a kind heart to not cancel the sponsorship. Uh and all that comes with a, a brilliant engineering mind in making a lot of amazing products that uh, really uh, can. That I can vouch for. Very innovative, very it, useful, practical. Can innovate your brew day, as JP yeah. likes to say. Yeah, uh, he is—he's uh, quite a guy, and he's—he's he's a hilarious, funny guy, and, and very generous guy. Took us to. Uh, 
uh, dinner at uh, CBC and had a great time, as always, with oh, yeah. his crew. I would suggest if you enjoy this show and you want to see this show continue, you should get yourself to BlickmanEngineering.com. Check out the stuff they got there. And you can find their goods at just about every quality homebrew shop around. They can get you Blickman Engineering gear, and uh, you'll be thrilled uh, with the quality and the brilliance that goes into uh, designing that gear. All right. Definitely. Definitely. Speaking of brilliance uh, and innovation. Oh, you're looking at me now? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at Justin. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> how about, how about uh, our subject for today? Uh, you had uh, got a bug up your butt about uh, doing some uh, more information about uh, mashing. Mashing, yes. Yes. Well, I, and I think you've adequately described it, too. Um, <laughs> a bug up your butt? Yeah. I mean, this is the kind of thing that just, you know, wakes me up at three in the morning thinking, I wonder how long is too long and or how that's, long that's is That's how enough. I woke you up last time. Yeah. How long is too so, long, John? <laughs> three o'clock in the morning. Should I keep going up. or not? Is that too long? <laughs> yeah, I want to know about my mash. That's right. Okay. So, so, yeah, the question that comes up a lot in the forums is, uh, you know, you get brewers get factoids, and there's a lot of factoids floating around out there, um, saying that, uh, you know, conversion, today's modern malts, high diastatic power, mm-hmm. the mash is done in 15 minutes, or the mash is done in 20 minutes or 30 yeah. minutes. And when do you stop mashing? Um, or am I, you know ruining my beer by mashing mm-hmm. longer mm-hmm. all these kind of questions mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. um i attempted to you know dig into the uh scientific literature and some recent uh aspc journal papers and see if we can address this issue a bit i uh, let let me let me throw out my i'm going to predict mm-hmm. uh the results before i know it i'm going to i'm going to predict what you're going to tell us okay which is them 15-minute mashes, no good. No bueno. There are problems with those. Okay. And a lot of it has to do with the crush and pH and stirring and things like that. Well, when you do a Congress mash, yeah, that whole thing will convert pretty quick. Um, I think when you're talking about a true mash in the, you know, your average brewery, I think too short. I think <coughs> it doesn't have to be a whole lot longer than that before you start loudering. It depends how long you louder. That also has an effect. Oh yeah, um, and then you know when the when the word gets heated up, that has an effect too. Uh, past the you know, when it denatures the enzymes, right? Then I'm going to predict that it is possible to go too long. However, that period of time is an extreme number that generally is not seen in a brewery. You know, it, it, you you could possibly go too long, I guess. Um, to That's some not a bad surmise. detriment, but um, it would be a really long number. We're not talking about you know a couple hours. You're probably okay. You know, you get to like fifteen hours, twenty Correct. hours. You're probably you're probably in trouble. Huh? Huh? How, yeah. How's that for guessing? I think we're done. Yeah, good job. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I can answer Q and A questions because I am good at guessing. All right, so <clears throat> well, tell me um, then. Um, 
you, you got like a minute to give me uh, a little overview of what we're going to talk about. Okay. Then we're going to take a break. All right. Well, uh, let's start out with a couple generalities here. Mm-hmm. Um, for one, let's, let's look at a kind of a rule of thumb. According to the Journal of the American Society of Brewing Chemists, um, it is generally recognized that mashing in at 63 to 65 C or 145 to 149F at a pH of about 5.2 is beneficial for beer flavor stability and has good fermentability and fan. Free amino and, nitrogen. Uh, yes, exactly. Free amino nitrogen. So that's a, that's a good baseline to, to work from. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you, if you look at uh, mashing as a process... Several different enzyme groups taking place, um, you know, uh, cooperating to um, to give us good extract, good for, uh, free amino nitrogen, good fermentability, mm-hmm. and um, so there's a lot of factors coming together mm-hmm. uh, here. Um, for instance, the um, you Time, have temperature, pH, degree of crush, crush water uh, to grist water. ratio. Mm-hmm. Malt modification or Kolbach index, mm-hmm. stirring, the, gel- uh, stirring, the gelatinization yeah. temperature of the barley, mm-hmm. the barley variety and its protein content, and enzyme assay. Mm-hmm. Um, because all these things vary depending on what barley and what crop year and what maltster you're using, degree of modification. So there's a lot of variables that can go into um, how well a certain you know lot of uh, right. malt will convert. Well, so. uh, let me tell you this before we take a short break. Let me take you, tell you this because we right. need to take a break. Um, when we switched our base malt, uh, we were getting a sacks, we got a silo, filled the silo, and switched over to a malt that we knew and that we enjoyed. Our attenuation, everything keep, keeping everything the same, right. our beers attenuated further. Uh-huh. By switching base malt. Yep. That and, is you know, an same example. Same mash temperature, same everything. Yeah. So different different levels of enzymes. I'll tell you what. When uh, we come back from break, I want you to tell me why it was that by switching base malt, our beers attenuated further. Right? Right. Okay. So let's take a short break. We'll be back right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, More Beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. 
morebeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. Morebeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to morebeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of The Buzz, The Forum, The Learning Center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanisha, and I love a bold, hoppy beer, one that spits resin in your face and makes you cry, Uncle. There are a lot of great hoppy beers out there, but at Heretic, we want to make something as bold, dank, and resiny as possible. We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% Imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive bittering, but it takes a backseat to the in-your-face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam me in the taste buds. If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it, too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerones know beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone Program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious. Cicerone are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. For nearly 40 years, one organization has had your back. The American Homebrewers Association. Are you a member? (laughs) Why not? Join the more than 40,000 brewers who enjoy all the American Homebrewers Association has to offer. Like Zymergy Magazine, in print and online, plus the Zymergy app. Zymergy is the leading publication for amateur brewers around the world. Supporters also get member deals at their local breweries, bars, and homebrew shops. These alone quickly pay for your membership. You'll also get great member-only resources at homebrewersassociation.org and access to AHA events like the National Homebrewers Conference and the National Homebrew Competition. The American Homebrewers Association promotes the hobby of homebrewing, protects the interests of homebrewers, and brings beer lovers together become a member today it costs less than a batch of beer and gives back so much more visit homebrewersassociation.org like the lance armstrong of the beer world except for that nut thing this is brew strong All right, we're back. So, John, tell me why my my uh, beer attenuated further by changing the uh, baseball. 
Well, um, basically, is because you changed the base malt. Um, different different malting barley varieties, uh, you know, that is the different strain of barley, mm-hmm. uh, have different enzyme levels, um, and they even have different forms of enzymes such as beta amylase. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those forms, um, SDH2, for example. Oh, yeah, SDH2, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, H3 has, uh, if, if you need, you know, whatever it takes. Sometimes I go four. I'm just, I'm just yeah. saying. Uh, it has better thermal stability than uh, the SD1 and mm. uh, yeah, like form that. of the enzyme. Uh-huh. Um, I don't have those papers in front of me at the moment, but um, there are tables where they'll list, you know, they'll compare different barley varieties, and there'll be quite a bit of difference, um, say, in terms of the uh, the amount of a particular enzyme there, um, you know, 56% versus, you know, 107% of what is regarded as a typical amount. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that can be the variation between these varieties. Mm-hmm. And then you have season-to-season variation as well brought on by, you know, differences in growing uh, of the barley, protein levels in the barley. Mm-hmm. So all these things can affect um, uh, the... Well, and how the maltster handles it as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And the... Uh, the gelatinization temperature of the barley, too, will vary. Mm-hmm. Um, it typically varies between 53 to 66 degrees Celsius, or which is, um, oh, where's that number? Who cares? Um, it's somewhere uh, then, uh, but the smaller, more typical range is, say, um, 56 to 65. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually barley is, is um, finished gelatinizing. Uh, that is becoming soluble in the mash and, and accessible to the enzymes by 65C, which is about 148F. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that's another reason that you know a typical mashing program with you know base malt A may you know have a different performance with base malt B mm-hmm. uh, for that same mash because uh, so let's say if base malt B has a uh, a lower gelatinization temperature, mm-hmm. then the, the starches in that barley become accessible to the enzymes that much sooner. Mm-hmm. And that, that barley, you know, may have more enzymes, more be, more beta amylase than the previous malt. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of room for variation. Mm-hmm. And that's where it takes, you know, your experience in the brew house working with your base malt and working with your maltster to understand, you know, the the raw materials that you're given to work with. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe go over again, you know, kind of the, the theory of mashing, what's happening during the mash. I mean, people understand that, you know, the grains are wetting and uh, the okay. starches are exposing and then the, the enzymes become active. And, and, and how is that all working? How is uh, the starches being converted into to sugars? Okay. Well, um, you start out with um, you start with the barley kernel where the starches are enclosed in a protein matrix, and uh, the starches themselves exist as little round nodules, uh, granules within this matrix. Um, during malting, the the steeping and germination uh, releases enzymes in the barley pro- prote- proteases or protein enzymes that start opening up those uh, and exposing those starch granules. 
Um, and so that's what we that's what we talk about in t- with uh, regards to modification, how exposed those starch granules are, mm-hmm. uh, how broken apart that matri- that protein matrix is. Mm-hmm. Then when you crush the grain, um, the finer you crush it, the, you know the, again the more surface area you create for um, um, access of the enzymes to these starch granules. So. One factor that influences uh, the the rate at which uh, the mash will convert is how fine you grind it. Mm-hmm. Of course, the trade-off there is if you grind it really fine, you're going you're to have a difficult time watering it because it's going to get you know gooey mm-hmm. um, instead of more particulate. Um, so anyway, the you you have you now have these starch granules uh, exposed to the mash to the water. And depending on the temperature of that water, um, these starches will uh, dissolve. The, the, gran- the granules themselves will dissolve in the water and the molecules will open up. And when they do, they become soluble. And now the enzymes can start acting on the ends of the polymer chains. These are sugar polymer chains that make up starches and can start nipping off the sugars that we want. So it's a... It's a kind of a, a parallel process in that you have different kinds of enzymes acting on different parts of the starch once it becomes soluble. Alpha amylase is very good at going inside the polymer chain and cutting off you know, big pieces and small pieces, just kind of randomly chopping it up. And then you have beta amylase, which only acts on the very ends of the chains clipping off two uh, glucose molecule maltoses. That is, you know, maltose sugar is a disaccharide, two glucose molecules. And that's what beta uh, creates, which is the main sugar, of course, in our mash that we ferment. Um, You also have an enzyme called limit dextrinase. And limit dextrinase acts to break up some of the larger dextrins that alpha uh, amylase uh, makes and also breaks up um, some limit dextrins uh, into smaller pieces that beta amylase is able to take advantage of, kind of, you know, creating new ends for the beta to uh, nip off the maltoses. So the combination of these three enzymes are the main ones that produce the fermentable sugars in the mash. And they all do, they do this work all in parallel, but for them to work, you have to get the starch soluble first. Mm-hmm. There's also another uh, enzyme that has a, very, has a small effect called alpha-glucosidase, which produces uh, glucose molecules, single uh, sugar molecules, from the ends of the chains like beta amylase does and also cleaves beta amyl uh, excuse me cleaves maltose molecules and maltotriose molecules uh into you know a free glucose so that's hmm. another one but that only has a small effect it's a couple percent in the overall sugar composition of the word now um in the past, you've you've described this as kind of like uh, you know cutting up a tree. Let's say you get a, a tree uh, to, to chop up in your in your yard, right? Right. And um, I think that's a good visual for people. You want to run yeah. through that? Sure. Um, alpha amylase you can kind of uh, compare to say a chainsaw. It's able to go in, you know, the branches um, and you know 
cut anywhere, um, cut through a branch. But one limitation of alpha amylase is that it can't cut next to or it can't cut in the joint of a, say, of a branch. It has to cut uh, either side of that joint. And so um, that's that's where um, limit dextrinase comes in. And I kind of liken that to, you know, your dad stepping in with a pair of heavy-duty loppers, you know, your your older brother is going crazy with the chainsaw, just you know, cutting things everywhere, all over the place, and producing lots of different pieces. Your dad comes in with the loppers, making some precision cuts here and there to make your job easier. Say as beta as beta amylase to you know make these small pieces, the maltoses, uh, from the ends of the of the branches that you need to ferment. Mm-hmm. So um, alpha kind of random. Limit dextrinase, a very specific attacking the joints which of the limit dextrins. By limit dextrins, we mean the you know alpha can only go so close to a joint and then it stops, and that's where limit dextrinase comes in to, is able to go in and cut those uh, joints. And then the beta amylase is like a small pair of uh, hand trimmers or a hedge trimmer. It's only able only able to cut the uh, small ends of the branches to make the maltoses. Well, and I think, you know, people envision this as, you know, something actively going to a a specific point and, you know, uh, acting on it. And it's like, oh, like, you know, your dad sees uh, something to to cut with the loppers and he walks up to it and cuts it because he saw it and moved over to it. Whereas in reality, there's, uh, you know, millions of your dad and millions of you and millions of your big brother and swimming around in the backyard (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as as you randomly bump up, you're not swimming, but you're, you know, there the breeze blows you up against the tree. And if it's the right place where you can cut, you cut it. Right. And then, you know, one of the other yews is, is being blown the other way and touches the tree in, in that spot. But it isn't a spot that you that you can cut and you don't. And right. so it's the same thing. It's 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 a uh, it, 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 it's like Justin's hot tub. It's a cesspool of active. <laughs> Uh, viruses and bacteria that uh, when you get in, uh, they act upon your body, mm-hmm. finding openings, chopping away at things, you know, rendering parts of your body unusable. And, uh, you know, you turn on the, uh, the jets and it just stirs that up and all that stuff just pumps into you. Well, that's it's just the scientific term. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right. The, old, the old Justin's hot tub theory. The Justin's hot tub theory. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like hot tub time machine oh. too, but yeah. a little more filthy, but without all the cool so, stuff. You know, yes. As, yes, as brewers, we can manipulate this process to some extent mm-hmm. um, because the the different enzyme groups, uh, alpha versus beta versus limit dextrinase and glucosidase and so on, they have different temperature optimum. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, it allows you to um, encourage beta amylase by by mashing in at just above the gelatinization temperature, you know, like 145, 146 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, that will get you just over the gelatinization temperature. The starches become soluble, and this is um, kind of the really the upper end of where beta amylase is temperature stable. 
it is actually uh, most temperature stable down at 55 degrees, which is like 138 degrees F. And uh, it's actually denaturing at our mashing temperatures. Um, as you go to higher and higher mash temperatures from, say, 148 to 150 to 154, the the activity, you know, the the energy of the beta amylase is also increasing, but at the same time, it's dying faster. So there's a big trade-off there as far as uh, activity versus denaturing at the same time. Mm-hmm. You will get the the beta amylase and maltose conversion happening more quickly, but um, the higher in temperature you go, the wort ultimately becomes less fermentable. Mm-hmm. So this is why... Um, we we talk about different temperature rests. If you want to brew a very dry beer, then you often do an alpha or sorry a beta and alpha rest, a low temperature rest, and then a higher temperature rest. If you want to produce a you know a sweet dexterous full bodied beer, then you simply you know go to that higher mashing temperature, say 154, 156, 158, where you you know really move past the beta's uh, uh, working zone and really start denaturing it quickly. So you don't get as much of the highly fermentable maltose. You get more of the random dextrins, the maltotriose, uh, the glucose from the glucosidase and so on mm-hmm. uh, as a result. All right. Well, let's do this. Uh, I think we're, we're due for another break. No, all Take right. another break, and then we'll get right back into uh, more stuff about mashing and temperatures and times right after this. All right. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! Do you like beer? They make beer. Watch out! Do you like friends and fun? They make friends and fun. Watch out! Do you out! still like to have a good time? The 21st Amendment. Watch out! The 21st Amendment in San Francisco, located at 563 2nd Street, two blocks from the building where baseball is seen and played. Try their beers in the pub or try them in the can, featuring... Monk's Blood. Made with real monk. Watch out! So why not have the best time of your life? Go to the 21A and Sean O'Sullivan will personally greet you with a can of... Monk's Blood. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! This advertisement is not in any way affiliated nor associated with the 21st Amendment Bar and Pub, nor its subsidiaries or affiliates. This telecast is not copywritten by the 21st Amendment for the private use of the Brewing Network. Any use of this telecast without Jamil Zanishev's consent is prohibited. Saka JP. BN Army, I'm here to talk seriously for a second. You all are partially responsible for something explosive, and it's time you answer for it. Moonlight Meadery is exploding. Yeah, exploding across the country. Wait, they just landed in Australia with insane quality meads. With nearly 70 different varieties of mead on the market, Moonlight Meadery has blown up the mead category and completely reinvented it. Seriously? What? Seriously? What? You're paying money for that watered-down mead when you could have a Moonlight Mead? Moonlight Meads explode with quality and flavor. They're a party in a bottle. Did someone say party? If you want need and want the best, you want needs from Moonlight Meadery and will accept nothing less. And now get 15% off by going to moonlightmeadery.com forward slash BNARMY and use coupon code BNARMY at checkout. Hey, sign me up for that party. 
A few things happened 30 years ago. ARPANET migrated to TCPIP, and the Internet was born. Revenge of the Jedi was renamed Return of the Jedi and opened in theaters. Mila Kunis and Emily Blunt were born, beginning a rad fantasy in my mind. But all of that pales next to the fact that HopTech opened its doors and began blowing homebrewers right out of their mash tuns. HopTech doesn't fuck around. Real people shipping awesome shit straight to you. Their new website is fast and easy to navigate. Or just call 800-379-4677 and let badass bitch Jade and the gadget guy Roberto blow their warm load of customer service all over you. So visit the site or visit the store in Dublin, California and support those that support you. Get your brewing on at HopTech.com. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. This is Jamel Zanisha, and I want to tell you about Heretic Evil Twin. You might be familiar with my homebrew recipe, which uses massive late hopping to create a balance between the malty sweet and the hoppy bitter, along with an outrageous malt and hop character. I wanted a beer with the same bold hop and malt character, so we played around with the homebrew recipe until we were able to make a great commercial version, too. We've created a beer rich in malt character, full of caramel, toast, biscuit, and an ever-so-subtle roast note. On top of that, we piled in an insane amount of citra and Columbus hops at the end of the boil, as well as in dry hopping. This damn-the-cost approach to hopping gives Heretic's Evil Twin a great blast of citrus and tropical fruit that can't be matched by any other hop. The result is a bold, malty, hoppy, but easy-drinking beer. This is our top seller, our flagship beer, and I couldn't be prouder of it. Cheers. To find Heretic Beers near you, click on Find Some at hereticbrewing.com. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and the freshest ingredients, backed by the best customer service in the business. Do you like to mash using efficient fly sparging, but would like an easy way to heat your strike and sparge water? Enter the new Brewer's Edge Electric Mash Water Heater, a plug-in, anywhere, precisely controlled heater for strike and sparge water. Ditch the fumes and second burner and make mashing easy. Go to williamsbrewing.com today and browse their vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 4 p.m. Pacific time weekdays ship the same day. Brewing is easy the Williams way. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, John, I'm warning you. Now, (laughs) give this information out, but don't make people freaking out over like one degree. Oh, I was one degree off and I, I, my beer isn't, isn't hoppy. Yeah, that's a good point. Just, just be careful now. Son, you're going into territory where you're going to disturb people's minds. We're going to get technical. <laughs> All right. I've got my testicles. You go ahead and get technical. All right. Um, yeah. Even though during this uh, this program, uh, this podcast, uh, I'm going to be quoting some temperatures here and there. Uh, remember what I said earlier where, you know, the barley variety, the crop year, protein content, all affect 
the parameters of the malt. And so, you know, we'll talk about, you know, gelatinization temperature being, you know, say 65C or 147F. Uh, that's, you know, a snapshot, of, you know, one example, one typical example. But as I said earlier, those temperatures can vary by, you know, five degrees. Um, likewise, the enzyme optima, you know, the, the optima for the enzymes in any particular malt, depending on which form we're talking about, those optima will also vary by a few degrees. Mm -hmm. So uh, take all this with a grain of salt. You know, we're talking about typical numbers, give you a good, you know, understanding of where things are happening. But don't freak out if, you know, your mash is one or five degrees off of whatever temperature you picked, you know, to be that you think is where you want to be. The mash is still going to work. Um, you are still going to make beer. You know, with practice, you will know your base malt. You will know your system well enough that you can make fine adjustments to make, you know, changes, you know, specific changes in your word. But that takes, you know, day in, day out attention to detail to do that. Uh, you know, so take a step back. Keep, keep in mind the big picture here and understand, you know, where the levers are, what, you know, how everything kind of works together mm -hmm. rather than getting caught up in the numbers. Right. So let's see, where were we? We were talking about um, the the mashing process, how the enzymes uh, come together. And um, one thing we were kind of touching on earlier was that people may think that, uh, oh, okay, I'm going to do this beta rest, and this is going to happen right now, and then I'm going to switch to an alpha rest, and that will mm -hmm. happen. Well, uh, you know, things aren't as cut and dried like that. Um even there's even uh, protease or protein enzyme activity occurring at 150 degrees F. Again, you're in a region where you know a lot of those enzymes are going to be denatured because you're above their optimum, but they are still going to be active. So that activity is also going on. All these enzyme groups are acting in parallel uh, at any one given time, and what this means is that. You know, more than half of the conversion and uh, dextrinization, that is the production, you know, once the starches have become soluble and the amylases start breaking them up into sugars, um, once that starts happening, 15 minutes in, you've produced more than half of the total extract of your mash in the first 15 minutes. In the first half hour, you're going to produce you know, the vast majority of that, say 75%. That's kind um, of a logarithmic yeah. curve, though. I mean, it, it takes longer for the remaining yeah. ends. Yeah, Longer and longer. You know, so as you go from 30 minutes to 60 minutes, and uh, you're only going to see like 5% improvement in your, say, your fermentability or your total extract for the mash, you mm -hmm. know, 30 minutes to 60 minutes. Um, but again... I'm talking about these are what, you know, small-scale studies have showed us as far as enzyme activity and the way things are happening. When you scale that up to a commercial operation, um, you know, you've got, uh, you know, a mechanical limitations just to how fast you can move the mash and heat the mash. Um, and so, actually, it's a good thing that 
if you go to an hour long mash a 90 minute mash you know you're not ruining anything mm-hmm. um you're getting you know 1% more fermentability but you're not hurting anything um i think that's i think that trade off is an important thing to understand uh rather than any, everybody trying to rush out and shorten their mashes uh you know an hour long mash is fine uh there's well, there's no I've always encouraged that for home brewers. You know, yeah. what are you in such a rush for? You know, right. you're not you're not actually achieving anything by shortening it. Unless right. you're in a real hurry, and I can understand that, but um, you know, people are, you know, going a few minutes. Uh, lot of, you know, in our in our brewery, we dough in, we make sure everything's uh, you know, well hydrated, and then we just start pumping it over to the louder. I don't even right. really wait um, because the amount of time it takes to dough in and the amount of time it takes to pump over and before we can, and then we Vorloff. And by the time we've done all that, we're an hour in. Yeah. And then we go start running off. It gets into the kettle. The kettle's not hot. It's, you know, it's still, there's still activity, you know. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's, that's the situation in the commercial setting. I mean, for example, I was talking to to Matt Brillinson over at Firestone, and one of their beers they they were looking to get that, get the cycle time down. They needed to get more batches through that mash ton mm-hmm. uh, to you know get better product efficiency. Really, you know, they needed to satisfy demand. Um, so they looked at changing their mash schedule from a multiple step mash, um, you know, uh, dough in beta alpha. And mash out uh, to, you know, experimenting to see if they could get the same level of extract, extract yield, and same level of fermentability by going to a single infusion step uh, where they didn't have to, you know, do three steps. They could just do one. And they were able to find a temperature, he said, that got them the same parameters as their previous mash. And it passed their sensory and uh, analytical analytical specifications, so they were able to do it. Um, you know, why do they? Why did they do that? Well, in you know the production situation, time is money, and that's why they did it. And the home brewing level, or on a smaller craft brewing level, you know that may not be a factor. That may not be a, re- a need to you know shorten that. You can take your time, uh, you know, make sure you've got, you know, your process uh, proceeding the right manner uh, and not missing anything, you know, by taking that hour-long mash mm-hmm. uh, versus a shorter one. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, just just uh, something to keep in mind as, as we go through some of the, the details uh, in some of these papers. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I guess I could dig into some of those details. Okay. Um, dig away. All right. Um, much of the information uh, that I'm going to talk about comes from uh, a, a few papers. Um, one is the influence of thick and fast mashing conditions by uh, Gert de Roque, I believe it's Belgium, um, et al., uh, volume 71 from 2013 of the Journal of the American Society of Brewing Chemists. Other source material was provided by uh, Dr. Evan Evans and his team, um, Journal of the ASPC, 
2003, 2005, 2011, and uh, Henson et al., uh, Journal of the ASPC uh, in 2014. She had a real nice uh, paper on thermostability of uh, beta amylase across several different malting varieties. Uh, so that's where I got some of those numbers for um, the enzyme content and gelatinization temperatures we were talking about. Um, so let's look at typical factors for fast conversion. Um, as we were saying, uh, a very fine crush allows good access to the starches. That will speed up the conversion time. A slightly higher pH, you know, the high end of the 5.2 to 5.6 range, uh, say 5.6 to 5.8, that pH is generally uh, better for uh, starch conversion. Mashing in above the gelatinization temperature, like I mentioned, um, 133 to 151F, depending on the crop. Um, anytime you're above the gelatinization temperature, you have limited the amount of denaturing that's occurring to the beta amylase and the limit dextrin, uh, dextrinase, and allow those starches to be, be addressed uh, readily couple thick uh, factors to keep in mind on the opposite side. Um, a fine crush is going to be harder to water, uh, so that may actually uh, decrease your total yield for your mash. A higher pH favors um, lipoxygenase enzyme, which is a beer staling mechanism causing the oxidation of fatty acids. And this has a very uh, the long-term um, staling beer's flavor stability uh, problem. So um, you want to, that's one, one reason to uh, keep your pH, your mash pH lower, uh, is to avoid lipoxygenase activity. A lower pH of 5.2 is also considered to, con to produce better beer flavor, a more refined beer flavor. Um, um, and also remember that, as we said, higher temperatures will produce faster enzyme activity, a higher degree of activity, but also give them a shorter life. They will denature faster. Um, and one way that this is uh, realized in the practical world, um, for instance, at New Belgium Brewing uh, there in Colorado, um, they typically use a mash schedule of... Um, 60 minutes at 62 degrees C or 144, 145F um, for when they're making very dry beers. But they use a much shorter mash schedule of only 20 minutes at 70 C or 158F when they're producing very full-bodied beers because after 20 minutes at that temperature, all the beta amylase is gone. And so, um, you know, they've done all the conversion they can really do. Uh, and again, in a production setting, uh, they're ready to move that wort on and get another batch in the mash tun. Right. That is more. And I think that's what I want to emphasize to people listening is they're not doing it because shorter is like better beer flavor. They're doing it because they're trying to push the next batch through. They're trying yeah. to get volume for their capital expenditure of equipment. That's what commercial breweries do. And 
it, it frustrates me sometimes that people latch on to what commercial breweries do and think that that's better for their homebrew because, right. well, that's how the commercial brewer does it. Well, the commercial brewer does it because he's limited in what they can do, the cost of doing it, and, you know, what's efficient and trying to make the most of, of you know, uh, time available time, equipment, employee labor, all that stuff. So it doesn't necessarily make better beer. So don't, you know, go off of what's going to make, you know, more financial sense for a brewery just because a brewery says they do it. I think that's one of the the things that kind of kind of worries me as people focus on, you know, what a commercial brewery is doing just because and for the wrong reasons. They think it's for something for another reason. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's um, you need to keep in mind that we're. We're addressing the same same uh, at, or process, but we're, dre- we're addressing it from different uh, priorities. And uh, commercial brewing, time and money. Mm-hmm. Uh, home brewing, you know, we've got time. We've uh, we don't have the that pressure, and uh, we can afford to take more time and may- perhaps produce a better beer mm-hmm. than what is practical to produce at a commercial level. Right. Um, not to not to diss commercial brewing in any way. Mm-hmm. No, we so. we take all the time in the world, and I'll tell you, it's not practical. <laughs> uh, it's not financially viable, uh, but we do it anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. All right. Just because of that, now I, <laughs> I I need to take I need to take a break. I need all to right, hear some more? commercials. Yeah, one, one last break. And then we'll uh, we'll cover a little bit more, and we'll wrap we'll up. We'll talk uh, about thermostability and uh, some temperatures, and then we'll save the rest for the next show. Absolutely. We'll be back right after this. And now, Northern Brewer presents What If Homebrewers Ruled the World. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'll follow me, I will lead you into the gallery area. Now, the first piece up for sale today is a Jamil Zinashev original, a bottle of 1997 vintage Evil Twin. Oh, I see. A bidding for this one-of-a-kind piece will start at £7,000. And if you'll continue to follow me, ladies and gentlemen, I can show you a rather abstract piece from Bay Area brewer Justin Crossley. It's a German Doppelbach entitled Justin's Giant Bach. The brewer's notes here indicate that this beer had excellent mouthfeel. Your support of the Brewing Network means everything to us. We couldn't produce shows without you. And we love giving you something extra for that support, like Brew Your Own Magazine. You already know it's a great brewing magazine full of recipes, equipment how-tos, discussions of beer styles, and brewing techniques. Whether you're new to brewing and just starting out or you're an old pro, you'll always learn something from the articles in Brew Your Own. Plus, there are amazing special issues like plans for building a Brutus 10 system, 250 classic clone recipes, and the Home Brewer's Answer Book. Brew Your Own Magazine and BYO.com are awesome resources for any brewer. Whether for yourself or as a gift, when you subscribe or resubscribe from the Brewing Network homepage, you directly support programs like this. Get a great magazine and support the Brewing Network. Subscribe to Brew Your Own right from the Brewing Network.com. 
beer tasting games that train your palate, a brewery locator, and the brand new interactive beer style guide. These are just a few of the awesome things you'll find on craftbeer.com. The style guide is a beautiful example of technology in beer. Browse beer style families or turn on the automatic beer style finder and explore beer through color, bitterness, ABV, aroma, and flavor. It's really the coolest way to explore every beer style besides having them all in front of you. Go to craftbeer.com and click on beer styles to start the guide. Plus, enjoy the rest of craftbeer.com, the brewer's banter blogs, beer education, how to host a beer tasting, and the invaluable draft quality manual. Tons of great content that makes your beer better. Visit the new craftbeer.com right now and explore the website that brings you all the passion, camaraderie, and creativity of the craft beer community. Craftbeer.com, celebrating the best of American beer. Adventures in Homebrewing have the knowledge and expertise to craft their own gear and original recipes. Some of the things Homebrewing.org creates and manufactures in-house are the Brutus brew stands and propane burners, the serial killer adjustable two-roller grain mill with seven-pound hopper, custom stainless steel false bottoms designed to fit kegels, coolers, and mini-sized brew pots. The brewers at Adventures in Homebrewing have designed a huge selection of original recipes for extract and all-grain brewing. Adventures in Homebrewing original recipes are tried and tested, proven to be of the best quality. And right now, Adventures in Homebrewing is shipping 24 of their best recipes for free. Visit homebrewing.org for the most current selection. Once you try one of Adventures in Homebrewing recipes, you'll keep coming back for more. And now, it's even easier with free shipping on these kits. Brewing Network listeners receive 10% off their homebrewing.org orders when they use coupon code IPA at checkout. See terms and conditions for full details. For nearly 40 years, one organization has had your back. The American Homebrewers Association. Are you a member? <laughs> Why not? Join the more than 40,000 brewers who enjoy all the American Homebrewers Association has to offer. Like Zymergy Magazine, in print and online. Plus the Zymergy app. Zymergy is the leading publication for amateur brewers around the world. Supporters also get member deals at their local breweries, bars, and homebrew shops. These alone quickly pay for your membership. You'll also get great member-only resources at homebrewersassociation.org and access to AHA events like the National Homebrewers Conference and the National Homebrew Competition. The American Homebrewers Association promotes the hobby of homebrewing, protects the interests of homebrewers, and brings beer lovers together become a member today it costs less than a batch of beer and gives back so much more visit homebrewersassociation.org learning to brew has never been so disgusting this is brew strong All right, we're back. So, John, tell me about the thermostability of enzymes. Okay. Let's, uh, yeah, let's wrap this up and uh, we'll talk about the uh, temperature reaction a little bit. Um, beta amylase is one of the most uh, heat liable uh, or label, liable, liable enzymes uh, that we work with. Um, its temperature optimum is uh, down in the uh, low 100 and 
140, 138 uh, degree range. And so, but then, you know, that's not, um, the starches are not fully gelatinized at those temperatures. So beta is not actually able to work on the barley starch at that temperature where it's most favorable. Um, when we heat the mash to get the starches soluble, now we're above that enzyme's uh, temperature region and it starts denaturing. And denaturing means that the, the molecule starts changing its shape. And to talk about enzyme theory a little bit, uh, perhaps inaccurately, but at least um, it gives you a good understanding of kind of how it works, these molecule shapes kind of act as keys uh, in inserting into the larger starch molecules and being able to go in and unlock the molecule to separate uh, the larger starch into smaller sugars. So when the, the when an enzyme denatures, what we mean is that heat or pH or some agent causes that enzyme to change its structural shape, and now it no longer fits the lock you're, and no you're longer breaking can the act, key. You, you have a bent bent key. I'm sorry. You have a bent key, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So you can't you know it can't perform its function. Mm-hmm. So. Um, beta amylase uh, has an apparent life of about 30 minutes um, at temperatures greater than 64C or 148F. Um, it, and so about after about 30 minutes, um, the activity of the enzyme has decreased you know, to anywhere between 25% and 0%. Uh, depending on, again, barley variety and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Limit dextrinase is another very important enzyme we've talked about, and it has a very similar uh, thermal stability problem. It also denatures uh, above um, 64C, 147F. And so once once you're, you know, gelatinized and you're in your mashing uh, sacrification temperature range, uh, limit dextrinase is active, you know, breaking up uh, the the joints in the starch chains, but it is also denaturing. And so um, we don't have as much information about uh, the specifics of limit, limit dextrinase and how long it lasts at various temperatures like we do beta, um, but that is being currently studied more and more. Uh, but it suffice to say that it behaves very similarly, if not identical, to beta mm-hmm. in terms of its lifetime. Um, now, in let's say that we're mashing at 65C, 148F, and you know, so we're we're just above gelatinization. We're we're the lowest temperature possible, you know, favoring the activity of beta amylase and limit dextrinase. Uh, you know, the lowest rate of denaturing at this temperature. Um, and let's say we, we keep mashing now, you know, past 30 minutes, past 60 minutes. You know, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Well, like I say, after 30 minutes, most of the activity is gone. It is completely gone by 60 minutes. Uh, but you do get further increases in apparent attenuation limit or fermentability and extract yield. And those increases are most likely due 
to uh, the continued activity of alpha amylase and the alpha glucosidase, which produces glucoses. Mm-hmm. So when you do, you know, keep mashing past that 30 minutes, these are the enzymes that are active and they're still, you know, producing bits of extract. So it's, you know, it's, there's uh, financially, you know, time, time wise, if you need to stop after 30 minutes, fine. Mm-hmm. But if you keep going, uh, you will get increases in your extract and, you know, yield. Well, and, and that is what I have found uh, as a brewer that, you know, uh, longer, longer mashes generally resulted in uh, higher yields, higher, higher uh, extract. And yep. uh, especially when you're talking these lower temperatures, uh, extending them out. And I, I've even seen going up to 90 minutes. Yeah. Uh, actually increases for amenability. Yeah. Yeah. You can get, you know, you keep uh, breaking down um, those those dextrins, mm-hmm. um, you know, through alpha action, through glucosidase action. Mm-hmm. And you will keep improving the, ferment, the fermentability of that wort as you keep going. Um, and you're and you're not really not ruining anything. Mm-hmm. So um, small increases in what we want, no real downside. Uh, it's just a matter of your time and money on what's you know what you need to do. Right. Well, speaking of time and money, uh, we're out of time for this show. Uh, what right. we're going to do is we're going to break this up into at least another show, maybe maybe two more. I don't know. It just depends on how much how many gems uh, John has to. Uh, Drop on the floor like a, a, a toddler <laughs> trying to reach the toilet. Uh, you know, pearls, pearls, brown pearls, dropping, dropping as he as he waddles on. Uh, I was thinking of more in terms of cat food dropped if, on the floor, Cheerios dropped on the floor for the kids. I envision you more as uh, a toddler with a full diaper of knowledge. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's not sealing up quite so well around the legs, and some of it slips out as we do these shows. I th- that's how I envision you. I like I to know. take it out and wave it around, too. <laughs> yes, yes, you do. I've hung around you enough. I know. I know what you like. All right, so let's do this. It's another fine show. If you're listening live, stay tuned because uh, we're gonna we're gonna do the next episode in this uh, interesting delving into mash temperatures and times uh, right in just a few minutes. So so stay tuned. And uh, if you enjoy this kind of thing, this uh, erudite, uh, high quality uh, diaper load of knowledge, I would suggest visiting our uh, fine sponsors like uh, Blickman Engineering, Blickman with two M's, and uh, telling them uh, how much you love that they sponsor the show so you don't have to pay for it. And hey, you know, you can go to the Brewing Network store and check that out, brewingnetwork.com slash store. Lots of goodies there. You buy that stuff, it all goes to the bottom line of the Brewing Network and helps pay for shows like this. So so be generous uh, at the Brewing Network store. Be generous to yourself. Buy yourself some goodies. You deserve it. You deserve a fine hoodie, shirt, some glassware. Don't be shy. Take care of yourself. You deserve it today. And uh, until then, Bruce Strong, everybody. Bruce Strong. 